Hello and welcome to Silence, a podcast where women get really honest about surviving and thriving in what often feels like a man's world. My guests are wonder women from the fields of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics or STEM, where inclusivity and diversity can be a real problem. I know this only too well. As a female Southeast Asian mechanical engineer, I was kind of a minority within a minority back then. I'm Dr. Shanice O'Mara, an engineer turned broadcaster. Throughout my career, I've worked on and reported on some cutting edge technology and innovation. And through my television work, I've met some incredibly inspiring women from a diverse range of STEM fields. Talking to these exceptional ladies has often left me feeling empowered, hopeful and excited about life. I believe silence will enrich you too. Every week, a woman in STEM shares her unique experiences with absolutely no pressure in having to promote her accomplishments or guard her impressive reputation, because I've come to realize that everyone is just way more open and relaxed when they're anonymous. So I deliberately disguise my guest voices so that we're just connecting as human beings rather than human doings. It's my hope that you really relate to what we chat about today. And if so, please do subscribe to Silence and maybe even rate and review the show. I'd love to have your feedback. This week, my guest is in the field of geochemistry. Hello. Hi there. (laughs) How are you doing? Doing pretty well. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm good. Just trying to figure this whole pandemic thing (laughs) out and how to live in lockdown and not go crazy. (laughs) Yeah, I agree with that, with having roommates and all of us trying to work from home. It's been interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to be really, really honest, I am such an introvert and such a recluse that working from home is like my dream thing. (laughs) Um, And, you know, it's just been blissful because I've been able to do all the things that I've been wanting to do for a long time, but just haven't had time because, you know, the commute is so long to work Mm -hmm. and, you know, work takes over everything and I'm you know working night and day on my day job um Mm -hmm. and so it's been really really great I think what I'm now missing at the moment is just you know in London we just have we've had a really really nice spell of gorgeous weather I'm just longing to be out in nature Mm. and that's what's kind of so you guys are on um I'm taking it full lock then and shelter in place then yeah, I heard that, um, like, we actually get fined if we're in our cars driving from one place to another without a valid reason to be doing that. So, and, like, I know people that have actually got fined. So oh. <laughs> I'm, like, now just at a point wow. where I'm, like, wow, okay, we really shouldn't be going out. Not that I was, yeah. but, you know, there's even yeah, more know. reason to stay locked up. That's very different than here. Most of the U.S. is in lockdown, but here in the state of Iowa, um, so states were allowed to choose lockdown and then choose shelter in place. And there's only a few states still that have not gone to shelter in place because of their governors. Mm-hmm. And I'll admit, I don't agree with Iowa's governor because right. we are one of the very last few states who have not done shelter in place. So we're still allowed out for walks and everything, but... Do the stats reflect that? Um, yeah, they're starting to. So as a lot of people have probably heard, the U.S. has been very behind on testing, very behind on a lot of things. We've only just started better testing now, and we're still going up and up right now. And from some of the colleagues and bosses and different people I've talked to, like the U.S. is starting to flatline a bit, but Iowa, we probably aren't going to flatline till middle of next month. Mm. and start flattening the curve so that we aren't peaking because we only had testing for those people who were entering the ICU. That's one of the very few ways you could get tested here. Like they're only just starting to up our testing finally. And we still aren't in lockdown and I can, I see it going to the grocery store. Like I'm taking it seriously. And so are my roommates. It's just, we can start to see people who are not, listening or thinking oh it's not that much because we aren't in shelter in place Mm. and we just don't have all the practices and people are spreading it more without realizing it yeah I think that's really sort of what happened in London in terms of our understanding of the um infection rates is like you know at first we were all on the tube 
you know, this is before lockdown, mm. all on the tube, wearing masks and, you know, and then we realised that, you know, we can't be taking public transport. And then we realised that we can't be touching surfaces uh, without the risk mm-hmm. of getting anything infected. And then so like, you know, even getting home deliveries of food and things like that, you know, has been, there's been some risk attached. And now we're mm-hmm. just all super paranoid, but it's taken a while to spread that message. Yeah. And how has it affected your work? Like what has been your day job before lockdown and what's it like now? Work has been definitely interesting. So my main um, position and title right now is research associate and a technician for my labs, um, ICPMS, so an ion coupled plasma mass spectrometer. And before lockdown, I was in the facility all the time, checking the instrument, running around, doing sample prep in other labs, helping our guests and our users keep things up and running, or I was cleaning, building some shelving or boxes that we needed. After lockdown, I've been doing a lot more data analysis at home yeah. using the VPNs of the virtual like computer network to get into my computers to use the software and also virtually uh, setting up samples for like the first hour or so in the morning so I can limit my time in the lab and then coming home and working from home and running the mass spec remotely Mm. the rest of the day. What does a mass spec do? Uh, The a mass spec is it's able to tell the chemical composition of whatever sample you're looking at. So the project I'm helping with right now is a forensic glass project that statisticians want a whole bunch of numbers for, and it's able to give back concentrations in PPM parts per million or parts per billion levels, but it can also tell you how consistent are is the chemistry through this, what elements are actually there and what their masses are. Wow. So really looking at the structure of things on an atomic level. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. And like, how did you get to do what you're doing today? (laughs) It's been a very roundabout path, I'll admit, as a lot of geologists will say. We don't always come into geology straight away. First, we get recruited from other fields. So I actually entered undergrad as an electrical engineer. And I did electrical engineering for a couple of years. And I knew I was going to do geology as a second major. Wow, that's so different though, those two things, aren't they? Yeah, they are. I love the engineering side and I understood it. And I also love the geology and I somehow wanted to combine the two. So I went, why not double major? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) why not make my life really hard (laughs) yeah ended up regretting that decision with our how the engineering program was set up at my undergraduate school and it was set up very rigorous very rigorous and I had no room for extra courses and then I decided one semester I'd finally dive into my geology courses this was about into the middle of my second year I did that And I dove deep straight in. I dove into the core geology courses and was also doing core electrical engineering courses. And that semester I was like 19, 20 hours because I was doing very heavy loaded courses and none of them were slacking courses and I hit burnout. Right. And kind of realized I'm going, do I want to be a true electrical engineer who does the circuitry and everything for the rest of my life? Probably not. And I was lucky enough at that time to have a mentor in geology who went, you can be a geologist and I can tell you have the love for this because you're acting like a two-year-old in a candy shop every time you come to my office to talk to me. (laughs) And you can be a geologist but still apply these fields of you can help with the instruments, you can do the chemistry and you can understand the electrons and all the electricity and everything needed because we need those people. We need them doing instrument stuff we need them helping with the science and progress the ideas it's just most people don't think about that at first they think geologists are just rock people and that's all yeah to be honest when you said geology I thought of soil immediately and I was like oh (laughs) she must just be figuring out the chemical composition of soil 
<laughs> yeah, no, actually, both my undergrad and my master's, master's thesis was more um, paleo-oceanography, paleo-climate. Right. My gosh. Work. And it was also um, dealt with uh, biostratigraphy, like stratigraphy and biostratigraphy. So what that is, is taking and looking at the fossils and figuring out what layers of rock came before each other and putting them in the proper order so that we can go find, other people can then go find aquifers or oil or some species of fossils live at certain times with oil windows. And also if you figure out paleoclimate, it could help us figure out and model a little bit for the future and what's going on now. Mm. I mean, was this all done with a view of getting some fantastically uh, unique job at the end of it where they would pay you tons of money because you're just so specialized or what was driving uh, you? the drive was just the interest and the passion honestly I kind of want to eventually be a professor in the long run like I love teaching it like and now what I'm looking forward to is doing this on space rocks so I want to work for NASA eventually wow do you reckon since I'm so new to my career field as I only just graduated actually with my de- my first grad degree about, uh, actually it's going on exactly a year now. Wow. Gosh. And it started out as passion and just what I liked and it's evolved into, I understand the instruments a lot better for having my engineering background. And so it's opened a lot of doors because mm-hmm. The position I got actually wasn't really a position till I got till I graduated. I'll admit they I knew the technician from who was running the lab from undergrad Mm -hmm. and they started this new lab and they just had taken on too much work and there was a contract that they needed help fulfilling. Oh wow. And he knew I he knew I had run the instrument very well. I graduated with a degree and they wouldn't have to train an undergrad to come in and relearn the system. Mm. They could put someone back on it. So he talked to his boss and then went, instead of hiring a temporary undergrad, how about we hire a temp master student who knows the system and we know is good at this. Wow. So were you even looking for a job? Yes. At the time I was actually a teaching aide in a local middle school because I hadn't found anything in my field yet. Wow. Gosh. And your job sounds so unique and so um, fascinating and so like specific to you. Yeah, I've been very lucky to have networked and just had doors open at the right time and had people go, hey, we know she's back. We're needing someone and she needs an actual job in her field, not as a line cook for, because while this was, when this was being worked out, I had just switched from being a line cook at one of the local sandwich shops to a teaching aide at my father's middle school since he is a vice principal and went, hey, we need someone to help some of the kids with special, uh, reg- uh, special education methods do you want to do this? And it's a pay jump from what you're doing now. And from that, I then got a phone call in the middle of one of the school days of, hey, so-and-so wants to talk to you. They might have a job position. Gosh, that's so cool. Yeah, because I think often when you go into STEM subjects, um, it can be really tricky getting a job at the end of it because, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know, like even with engineering, my dad is an engineer. And mm-hmm. so yeah. I kind of knew what a job at the end of my engineering studies could look like. But mm-hmm. my gosh, without, you know, that knowledge, I wouldn't have mm-hmm. had a clue about what engineering is. So it's sounds it sounds like you've always been guided by a really strong support network around you. Yeah, and I'm very thankful for it. 
like I've had a lot of help. Like I'll admit, I could not have gotten to where I'm at without the definitely the mentors and the connections that were made. Because even though, like as you said, coming out, it's hard to find a position because. I was actually even without a job for about six months before I even found the local sandwich shop job. Wow. And who's been your biggest inspiration? Uh, my biggest inspiration has been my undergraduate mentor and his wife at the moment. Like, I don't, I was going to say, I don't have anyone big scientist who everyone would notice. It's, the smaller ones, the ones who actually put the time and effort into getting to know me as a person, mm. but also getting to know me as a scientist and being able to see my spark and knowing what I'm capable of and the ones who fought for me through my schooling and helped get me different positions throughout because um, he the professor in geology has fought really well for me for so long now because in undergrad, I'll admit being an engineer and hitting burnout does, doesn't play nice to a GPA. No. And it doesn't make it pretty for grad school either. Mm. So he helped me as soon as I came in and went, okay, I'm no longer engineering. I'm want grad school. How are we going to do this shit? Sorry for the language, but how are we going to do this? Because I did not have what a grad school would think of highly. Right. And and did he do all of that for you because um, he saw your authentic interest in the subject? Yes. Yes, he did. He saw the passion, he saw the drive, he saw the excitement and how, as I said earlier, he saw me from day one as, so I actually sat in, the first time I met him was I sat in on one of his lectures because it was a required low-level course for me. And the first day of lecture after he was done talking, I had restrained myself a little bit, but I kind of ran up front and asked him about if he had room in his lab, if he had research capabilities what he did and I was like a two-year-old running around a candy store for the first time I was that giddy and excited to be doing that doing geology and he could see that I mean that's so that's so inspiring and it gives I mean it's such a message of hope because um you know Mm -hmm a lot of people get help because their parents know someone or, you know, they're related to whoever who can, you know, open doors for them things like that. But Mm -hmm. it sounds like your genuine interest in something is what opened doors. Yeah. Yeah. It has definitely been because neither of my parents are in the field at all or even really going this way or even went to my dad went to grad school but that's so that he could be a vice principal in a school system like he teaches he taught middle school science but he wanted to be administration so that's the only reason he got his master's Mm -hmm. and my mother is an agronomist so she's someone who checks uh the local farm crops for bugs diseases and will she self-contracts out with farmers and will tell them what herbicides or insecticides or different treatments chemical treatments they should do to help bump the crop keep bugs away keep weeds away that type of Mm. thing yeah so i went a completely different route than both of them well i don't know there's still soil Uh, creeping in there somewhere (laughs) (laughs) and brain yeah and you know (laughs) so i think uh, nature did help along the way for getting yeah. into STEM, but I just, your, your genuine passion for the subject really is infectious because um, it sounds like no matter what, you always wanted to be engaging in something that you genuinely found interesting. Yeah, that's been, that's one of my life uh, mottos is I'd rather give up all the money in the world to be doing my passion and working at my passion than sitting at a desk job daily doing something I hate for the money to then go do my hobby. I'd rather be grumpy and mad at work 
for something not going right, but still loving what I do than going through the drudge day to day, hating oh, it, looking I, forward to the weekend. I totally agree with you. Um, but, you know, on that note, it's kind of funny because I always used to try and explain to my parents, like, you know, because when I, after getting a PhD in engineering and then mm-hmm. um, at some point down the line going into television, my parents were like, why are you wasting <laughs> all of that education? Going into TV? And, and, you know, I had to convince them that this is really genuinely what I wanted to do. I wanted to communicate mm-hmm. science. I wanted to like see what other people were doing in science and technology around the world. And I love traveling yeah. and that's why I chose this job. But then when there were down days <laughs> in television, my parents would go, see, if you had stayed <laughs> in engineering, you wouldn't be going through this. And it was like, wait, just because I'm choosing to do what I love, it doesn't mean I'm not going to have down yeah. days. <laughs> and they just didn't get it. And I just, I had so many discussions with them trying to tell them that down days is just normal. It's part of life. And if you're, mm-hmm. you know, down, like you, just because you choose what you love, it doesn't mean that every single day for the rest of your life, you're just going to be hopping and skipping around everywhere, happy as Larry. <laughs> and yeah, um, yeah, so like, it's really great to hear you say that, like, even if you're grumpy and angry, like you're still doing what you love because I often have days where I'm grumpy and angry over what I'm doing, but I'd still much rather be doing that than anything else. Yeah, definitely. And I understand the whole love for science communication and everything. I, I love doing the outreach projects and different things that some major labs and facilities can do because it's so much fun seeing the light in people's eyes as you explain a concept that they never knew. And if you have the passion to back it, it, that light gets even brighter and they understand and they get excited. Totally. Yeah. I, I'm totally with you on that one. What's it been like for you as a woman in chemistry and even electrical engineering? I mean, you couldn't have been in the majority, right? (laughs) Oh, definitely not. Like most of my circles, almost all the way through until now, like, my, even my close circles, like now it's getting better because I've slowly collected more female friends in STEM. But before, they're still predominantly male. It was always interesting. It always felt competitive. But yeah. also, I got lucky at finding groups of guys that didn't always care. And they didn't, they saw, I was lucky enough for them in school and like with mentors and stuff. They just saw past the gender and they just saw some of the they saw the passion or the endurance or the knowledge and education and willingness to learn there and how did they treat you uh, usually pretty good i will admit there has been times with certain colleagues or even classmates that it gets a bit hairy because there always is and they look down upon you and think that you're not as smart in different things but with my mentors and my friends the closer ones they've treated me as an equal thankfully like Mm. they also know that there are things that once more like now at work it's been interesting because there's giant um liquid argon tanks to keep our instruments running that once in a while get moved around the lab because something had to happen and then I get cornered to have to move it again because it's for my instrument. And I just look at it and go, huh, I forgot I couldn't move that. And I have to go right. ask one of the guys. And a couple times, there's one who I love who's the sweetest. And he makes sure that he isn't being feminist or anything. Like he's trying to break those social norms. And he's going, oh, I moved your tank back for you. And I went, I, I said, thank you. And he went, but I don't want you to feel I'm going, no, I understand. You're actually being helpful as I don't have the body weight to move this five foot tall canister of liquid argon. That's probably about three, 300 pounds at least. Mm. It's so tricky, isn't it? I mean, yeah. did you see a difference between the engineering and the chemistry? Yes. Between like the chemistry and the geology, they were, a lot of times, like in classes and everyone, it was a lot more open. Yes, I was in even a bigger minority there, 
because like class sizes are smaller and the um than engineering because what i noticed in engineering was there was a lot of women there was a lot of organizations for women in engineering and that type oh, of thing oh really oh wow that is not what i was expecting you to say yeah our undergrad we actually had a 40-ish balance like when you went up higher so how they did engineering with us was the first couple of years we're all together there's bigger numbers all disciplines are intermixed and then as you specialize you the numbers definitely then did shrink depending on which discipline you went into like mm-hmm. electricals had one in 15 to 20 where biomeds were about 50 50 with women right. and it depended on what track you went but at the beginning there was a lot more of us and they tried to make a point to have us so integrated i think to see everyone to know everything and so we could interact with more of that in geology it's just up here it's a smaller study at the school that i went to mm-hmm. and so there were a lot fewer numbers and then also just definitely a lot fewer women but they were more open too because once in a while it could be considered the hippie group shall i say of more free-flowing wild child the more accepting of different ideas because geology is so interdisciplinary mother Mother earth yeah and so interdisciplinary that we recruited a lot of people from different areas so that's really fascinating and i'm just trying to imagine what that must have been like i mean did you ever feel disadvantaged or somehow um yeah put out because you were female in these you know drastically different fields that are you know male dominated for different reasons i'll admit in college and yeah college and grads college for sure i never did like my undergraduate grad school i started noticing it because i went to a different region of the united states for grad school and there's a different culture and a different underlying like social bias and i could definitely feel it there i started feeling like i was an oddity i didn't fully belong. There was a bit more condescending on things, condescension that people didn't realize they had, but they had. And different treatments towards all the female workers. Like you weren't, you were listened to, but not always. And sometimes the best way to be listened to was you had to be the big, brash, strong, root of a force. You had to be like a man. Yeah. And not all the personalities could do that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And they kind of crumbled under the pressure of not being that, I guess. Yeah. But it wasn't even fully crumbling. Like it was, uh, you didn't, I'll admit I did some, but I also backed off a bit because I just didn't, I didn't like being that forceful like just wasn't in your personality yeah i was forceful when needed but i didn't want to be rude like you had to be the rude abrasive side of things of the masculine side to get anything heard like yes women are considered rude when we vocalize ourselves but it's not even that it was the full it wasn't that it was you had to go above and beyond and even if it was a guy you would be considered a jerk like you had to be that way at times just to get people especially in that facility to listen and take you seriously Mm. yeah I mean it sounds like you've been through similar experiences to what I've been through um Mm -hmm. I think the difference is that I just pushed myself to be brash um Mm -hmm. And it was so against my true personality um, yeah. that I kind of became something I wasn't. And then 
I basically hit a wall with that and Mm -hmm. I wanted to just get back to who I really was, um, which I was able to do once I was out of engineering. But when Mm -hmm. I was in engineering, I kind of um, became very aggressive, um, Mm -hmm. very sort of like defensive and just not a very... uh, comfortable person within my own skin because mm-hmm. so being something I wasn't and it doesn't sound like you were affected in the same way like what it, how how were you dealing with it within yourself from how you just described that I feel like I had the opposite side where you went more aggressive I backed off and I was still uncomfortable in my own skin I was being too submissive at times and I had a colleague that, so I started to get my anxiety and my worries figured out towards the end, and I started to get fed up with everything. And I finally, once I refound my voice, I started to feel better. Like once I stepped back into myself and was stopped being um, as submissive, because I had a call a lab mate and colleague who. It was rough with him, especially for all the women in the lab. Like, I didn't notice that at first. I was thinking, oh, okay, he's just being nice. He's being sweet. That's it. But he ends up taking over on projects. Like, if you ask him for help in a step or teaching you a methodology or something with your samples, he ends up taking over and just doing it for you and not letting you work through your problems. So it was a problem for me for a bit and then once I got more assertive and just told him no I'm doing this myself and back he finally got him to back off but we had a falling out personally and so that kind of helped him back off my stuff and then one of my friends she's the undergrad and he's a PhD student of lab so she had to ask him for help and he did but then there at times he just started taking over and doing her experiments for her, like not telling her that he had moved her samples off the hot plates or anything. And she'd come and go, he's doing it again. He's not listening. And I've asked him to stop and told him not to. And I'm, I've had to look at her and I'm going, I know you don't feel comfortable doing this. It took me a while too, but you're going to have to fully strongly tell him to stop. And then if he doesn't go to her advisor. Wow. I mean, it sounds like, even though it was kind of unpleasant and like a bit of a tussle, it sounds like you learned something uh, character building um, for the long term. I mean, being able to stand up for what you believe is right and speak up for yourself is such an important skill to have. Yeah, very much so. It was very element. I am very happy I learned it because I was, yeah, as I said before, I'm lucky through my early years to have people who supported me who didn't do any of that who never saw me as a lesser and a non-equal like they for a while they saw me as someone to train and that type of thing but they saw me as a colleague and someone who will step up to their level and will get to their level in due time and due course but not someone who was lesser than or who needed help all the time because of being female yeah do you know you're just making me realize something which is that Mm. you know it's so important to have someone that's in your corner Mm -hmm. and um, sometimes you know we can have a lot of pressure from say family or just there's a lot of expectations on us and as Mm -hmm. a result like we don't really feel like we've got anyone in our corner and this mental that you described just sounds like a gift Um, because he really sounds like he believed in you. And so when people were being basically assholes and (laughs) giving you a tough time, you had just the knowledge that there is someone that really believes in you and sees you for who you are. Yeah. And I'll admit it was rough during grad school because he was, the mentor was about 2000 miles away from me. And so it was hard to always remind myself that, oh, wait, I do have people fighting in my corner. I do have people who support me. And 
it was when I was finally refining my voice and reaching out again more to any of my support system. Because I'll admit, I kind of went a bit radio silent on people. And reaching back out and having them vocalize going, we believe you, or as they showed up for, I had them video call in for my thesis defense and different things. And as they afterwards gave me comments and said different things of, oh yeah, now we see why you were struggling. Now we see why you were having issues with so-and-so and your, your research graduate advisor and stuff. It was nice to have that confirmation of, they thought it was just distance and oh, grad school is going to be tough. But when they came back in and saw and got all the pieces, it was nice to have that affirmation from them and that support system going. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, sorry. We were wrong. You were right. You were actually dealing with assholes. As you yeah. stated earlier. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes people don't get that affirmation from anyone mm-hmm. and they start to question themselves and um, they start to wonder, wait, am I the asshole or are they the asshole? Because I really believe yeah. that this is unfair treatment, but no one's backing me up on this. So maybe I'm the mm-hmm. problem, you know, and I just, you know, talking to you is kind of reminding me of just how important it is to at least have one person in your corner, just mm-hmm. one, you know, yeah. that's all it takes. Just one person to believe in you and to really genuinely see you for who you are. That's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So it sounds like you have developed a lot of resilience um, as a result of what you're going through. And it sounds like you were already a very strong personality, like before you started all of this journey. Yeah. Like, where do you see your career heading? Like, what are your plans for the future? <laughs> I've actually had this question asked a lot of me as of recent, just because I'm a... I'm new in the field, but also with getting a new instrument, we had the main software guy from um, Agilent Technologies come out and help set stuff up. And I ended up going to lunch with him once and different things. And he went, so where do you see yourself when you grow up? And I'm going, when you grew up. (laughs) Yeah. And he knew I was like 26 and stuff, but he's just going as since we all try to find an adultier adult at times. (laughs) yeah Um, I went not sure I still want to teach because right now how I seen my five-year plan of after undergrad was my master's and then straight into my PhD but things did not go perfectly according to plan and my master's advisor recommended that I take time off I refine the passion I refine the drive and see if a PhD is actually for me Mm. it was his way of saying of yeah, I see a little bit of a spark, but I wouldn't recommend you for. I don't see you going on. And he didn't have the faith in me. And getting back, talking to, going back to a couple courses, back to the local university just to sit in on a talk or two, being around the people that helped ignite the passion to start with and helped me, like, kindle the flame, reminded me why I love the field and why I wanted to keep doing it and being with them and talking to them they went I mentioned that I was still thinking they went we say go for it if it's right and if you want to we will proudly back you and stand strong with you because we felt bad after you defended of going because it's the mentor and his wife they both teach and are professors of geology and they both are very part of my strong support system Mm -hmm. and they both went yeah, after your masters, after your defense, we were both pissed. We were mad that someone had crushed that spirit that we had worked so hard and put so much effort and education into to tell them that they aren't worthy of going on to when we can actually see the spark. We can see it. It's just you guys crushed it so much that and being back i'm still wanting the phd right now it's interesting i'm going and it's nice to be working and having a bit of break from schooling kind of like a version of a postdoc of 
I've been in school so long, I didn't know what it was like to breathe and not be in school. Right. So what I see happening is working here for a little bit, for a couple years, and then figuring out where I want to do my PhD with, who I want to do it with, and finding another good mentor, not just someone who can save face. I've learned that I'm going to ask all other grad students that they've had before how the professor actually is. And then from PhD, hopefully working with NASA, because I was looking at jobs a week and a half ago now with my roommates, just because I didn't know if I was going to have a job, uh, needed to find one here soon or not. And I found the perfect job out in Maryland with NASA doing almost exactly what I do now. And as I started the application process, I then saw that it was a postdoc position. And just right. damn it. That's well, a sign. I know. I, yep. I, that's a sign. I need to still go get that last degree. I need the PhD. So hopefully here in the near future, I'll be going back to school, getting the PhD, and then either working for NASA as in one of their direct facilities or. You should apply working... anyway. And just yeah. say that. Um, I'm just applying anyway because I hope one day to have this job and I definitely want to do my postdoc but like you know I just wanted to get to know you now um, mm-hmm. and then we'll say hi again in a few years time but I just wanted to put my name out there. That's a good idea. I wasn't sure if I could because they actually asked for my dissertation in right. the application so. But just make friends with the people there anyway, because, I mean, it sounds like that's where you want to end up. And, you know, the sooner you get to know who you might work with and just mm-hmm. get to know the organization, the better. I mean, it's not going to hurt, right? Yeah, that's a really good point. And so, yeah, it'll be NASA or it will be as a professor at a, at a research university who, yes, does teaching and also research. Like, I didn't want the balance but then working on NASA grants and hopefully Mars rocks or something that comes back with the new Rover when it comes back because of everything and that I know that they've set up on the new 2020 Rover to collect horse like rock samples and everything. God, I'm so excited for you because I feel like NASA's on your horizon. Um, But one thing that when you were talking about, you know, this person that was really negative about, you doing a postdoc like that person's also a gift because Mm -hmm. I find that when people um say negative stuff or they put you down or whatever you can either choose to believe them (laughs) or you can go I really don't think you're right and here's why and then you go off and you prove by going and talking to (laughs) the people that do support you and reminding yourself that actually you really do want to do a doctorate and this is your path and that person can go jump. And it's like, you know, you never would have had that validation if someone hadn't told you something negative, you know? Yep. I'm only snickering and laughing because uh, that's very true about my spirit and I'm very, very stubborn about that. I'll admit I've been told that is one of, it's both a good trait and a bad trait for me. Because I am very stubborn and I'm very good at, once someone tells me no, good at fighting back. But it can also get me stuck in a rut for a while. That's why I hung on to engineering as long as I did. I had an ex my freshman year. Like I was kind of floundering towards the beginning of it just because I wasn't putting the time and effort that I needed to into it. But he told me that, hey, why not stop? Why not become someone who does HR? Because I, I've always loved communicating with people and talking to them. He went, why not do that? You, And he was very set on finding his missus while in school. And he went at one point, he didn't say this at that exact time, but later on I got told by him that I could be a trophy wife easily. He was going to be an engineer. He was going to be a doctor. He'd make the money and I didn't have to. And so... I then, yeah, after breaking up with him, I ended up being very stubborn, sticking with engineering for maybe a bit too long for myself. (laughs) I'll show you. Yeah, very much so. Like he was, because yeah, after 
he was very set on finding someone to give the ring to because after six months after we broke up, he found someone to give the ring to and she fully said yes. But yeah, he was set on telling me, oh, you can be a trophy wife. You can be easily. Just drop. Just drop. Just become HR and you're good. It's it's so difficult, isn't it, as a woman? Because, (laughs) um, you know, for me anyway, I so could have become like a trophy wife. Um, I Mm -hmm. could very easily have like dropped into that role. Um, But something in me felt like I, that wasn't my path. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, every time I've had a guy kind of want to give me everything on a silver platter, I've always gone, no, thank you. I actually want to keep (laughs) going with the things I'm doing, even though it's really hard. And (laughs) struggling and I would love to just put my feet up and have somebody else provide everything for me I'm gonna stick with my career and I've always kind of looked back and just gone am I completely crazy like (laughs) why have I opted for the more difficult um road um but I think ultimately it is because uh it is more rewarding and it kind of goes back to what you said at the beginning which is like you know, it's not about the riches and the, you know, all the material stuff. It's really about like personal enrichment. Yeah, definitely. Like when he said that, basically, yeah, I told him he could F off and run away and not be near me again. Mm. Like I'm just going, I, no, 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 I don't want that. <laughs> like, yes, you can give me the money and everything. And it'd be nice never to have to wish for that type of support, but if you didn't marry me, I was still going to be following my career. I'm not going to be just one thing. I'm going to do what I love to do. But on that note, like, how are you planning to, like, do you ever want to have a family and, you know, all that kind of stuff? I do very much. I very much want a family. It's one of the long-term dreams of mine, I'll admit, it's always weird to say out loud, is I want to be a happy family matriarch in the end. I want a warming home, but a science home as well. A home that's open to any possibility and you can be anything that you're good at and that you are passionate to follow. Mm. And are you hoping that... Uh, science and you know a warm loving home are compatible like because I think women that are extremely capable alpha types um, which it sounds like you are like (laughs) really struggle to have that balance between being all mumsy and also being like really ambitious and driven at work yeah it will definitely be interesting like I'm not planning on a family any time here soon just because of still feeling like I'm in transition and everything and my partner's still in school as well so it's just and he's a couple several years younger than me so it's still just a way off in the future how is it going to happen and everything going to balance I'm not sure but I'll also admit uh talking to going to therapy and talking to a therapist has helped me at least realize I can balance them it might it'll never be perfect but I can have both. There's no guilt in wanting both and being able to do both. Like, yes, our society and our world is telling us you have to be one or the other, but you can actually do both. And yes, it'll be tough, but it's back to that whole support system of you have people who believe in you, go for it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think in all my podcast recordings, um, you know, it always comes back to the same thing as like, it's really important to be able to believe in yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, And often at the beginning, someone needs to believe in you so that you can learn how to believe in yourself. But ultimately Mm -hmm. the goal is believing in yourself. And um, I've definitely had, you know, a, a challenging journey with that because, you know, in the beginning I just... I really wanted to meet the expectations of others um, before really figuring out what my expectations were for myself. And now mm-hmm. I've, you know, 
I'm very much focused on just meeting my own expectations. But, you know, it hasn't been an easy road. And uh, it's a daily sort of reassessment of how I'm doing Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, And, but also a very, very fascinating journey. And, um, you know, when I look back, I have a bunch of things that I may have done differently. Like, is there anything you look back on and think, oh, you know, it didn't need to be so hard or I didn't need to make it so tough for myself? Uh, yeah, there's a lot of things I'm doing. It didn't need to be so hard. It could have been simpler. I could have done it better, but there isn't regret in how I did it. I wouldn't change it now going back because it led me to the point that I'm at now. And like, even what's said with like the butterfly effect, if you change one little thing, you could have, I would have missed something that I actually really enjoy now if I change that one. And was I happiest during those times? Was I struggling? Yes. Was I happiest? No. Was I struggling? Yes. But now that I look back, it's guided my story to how it is. I wouldn't want to change it. It makes it what I am today and where I'm wanting to go. Totally. So what advice would you have for any um young girls women or just anyone in minorities that are thinking i might try a stem career (laughs) i'd say keep trying till you find what fits just because you choose a path the first time you don't have to stick with it you don't have to be a stubborn rut in the mud of just because you chose one this is the one i'm gonna stick to you're allowed to try everything you're allowed to change go ahead and change I actually recommend, I don't recommend fully changing if it's not right, but I recommend trying everything. And then even like mentors and different people find someone who supports you and you might not hit a home run the first try. It might take you 10 to 15, but don't give up. Keep trying, keep going, and you'll make it in the end. We all do. What a lovely way to end our chat. Thank you so much for coming on Silence. Thank you for having me. That's it from my STEM guests this week. That's it from my STEM guests this week. I am, I don't know, smiling from ear to ear. I just feel like our conversation was just so heartfelt and so um, honest and just so comforting because this episode we've heard from someone who really is just following her heart and really doing what she loves the most and kind of she has this air of just being really proud of the decisions she's made even if they haven't been the right ones initially she just feels very comfortable and comes across as being just happy with the way her life is turning out thank you so much for listening this week don't forget to rate and review the show and catch you next week on silence